The multiplication of disciples, leaders, and churches is often discussed in missiological circles. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 2 of Strike the Match. And in this episode, my guest is Nathan Shank. Nathan, who lives in Asia, has experienced such multiplication movements firsthand. Uh, He is an author and also a church planning strategist. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Hey folks, before jumping into my conversation with Nathan, just want to tell you thank you for listening to season two of Strike the Match. And during this season, uh, there's a special on my book, To the Edge, Reflections on Kingdom Leadership, Mission, and Innovation, to those that are listening to season two of Strike the Match. If you go to CreateSpace and order this book with the coupon code that I'm about to read to you, uh, you can get a copy of this book at 41% off the list price. Easy way to find the book, just Google search uh, J.D. Payne to the Edge CreateSpace. J.D. Payne to the Edge CreateSpace, and it will take you right to uh, the page at CreateSpace. And once you get there and you add the book to your uh, checkout or to your cart, you can use this coupon code. Here it is. I'll read it to you twice. It is the letter J, uh, the number 4, the number 8, Z, Z, 7, E as in elephant, U as in, in umbrella. I'll read that to you again. J, 4, 8, Z, Z, 7, E, U. You can get the book to the edge at 41% off through Create Space. And now jumping into the conversation with Nathan. It is my pleasure to have uh, as a guest today on Strike the Match, uh, Nathan Shank. Uh, I have had the, the honor of getting to know this brother uh, over the past uh, past few years. Uh, heard about his, him and his work uh, even before meeting him. Uh, had a chance to, to read uh, some of the things that uh, he has written. And uh, just uh, not too long ago, actually had a chance to, to meet with him while he was in Birmingham, Alabama. And then since then, he and I have had some Skype conversations and emails and things of that nature. And so uh, he is an individual that if you are not aware of him, you need to get to know him. You need to get to know of of what uh, the Lord is doing through him and has been doing through him in his work. And so so Nathan is uh, joining us uh, today in uh, this conversation from the other side of the world. Uh, in fact, uh, he serves uh, with uh, the International Mission Board. He's a church planning strategist in Asia. And so, Nathan, I uh, just want to say, brother, thanks so much for being here. So welcome to Strike the Match. Yeah, my pleasure, J.D. We've uh, we followed Strike the Match uh, throughout its first season. Appreciate what you're uh, offering the Great Commission, brother. Well, you're you're very you're very very kind, um, man. I know that uh, several of the folks that are listening today. Uh, they they're not. A, familiar with you, uh, even though uh, your influence uh, has probably had an impact on them and their ministry uh, directly and even indirectly. Uh, so kind of start us off today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe about your family and kind of background? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, in the work we do, I guess uh, anonymity can be a great blessing, right? Uh, <laughs> I understand that. And I understand for security, I for security purposes, I know you need to be a little yeah. bit cloaked as well, so. No worries there, brother. We uh, we've been I've been personally with the IMB since 2000. I came out as a single to Asia, met my wife uh, here in Asia, and we've been married now for 13 years. Four children along the way, and uh, 
feels like the first day on the field in a lot of ways, <laughs> just as excited and passionate about tomorrow as, uh, as the previous now uh, stretching into the second decade. So uh, originally a, a pastor's son, uh, Southern Baptist, my father, Southern Baptist pastor all my life, and, and at least uh, until I was off to college and uh, including some church planning along the way and really uh, cut my teeth in ministry alongside my father and and then uh, through S- Southeastern Seminary out to the field in Asia. You and your wife, you mentioned your wife. Uh, the two of you wrote uh, a, a church planting manual. It's, it's one of the best things that, that I have I have seen, uh, called Four Fields for Kingdom Growth. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Mm. Yeah, sure. We, uh, J.D., we share a same, uh, similar uh, DNA in that the first church planting, actual formal church planting training I ever received from our company was uh, through Charles Brock. Charles Brock, and, yes, uh, his, sir. Yeah, all roads yeah, lead back to Charles Brock for for the good people. It's true. Of the world. <laughs> well, if you're ever in Neosho, Missouri, huh? Exactly. So we right. uh, we received training through uh, at the just orientation to go out as a journeyman, and and we heard him speak uh, with such passion about the essentials of the kingdom that the sower, the seed, the soil, mm-hmm. and the spirit. I believe out of First Thessalonians one and two, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it gripped our heart, and for that matter, my wife as well. Uh, listening at a lot of the similar similar lessons she would have learned from Curtis Sargent, where she served, and and these brothers investing in us to just first of all keep it simple. That church planning is a a work of faith, as the Spirit of God takes care of the uncontrollables, those things that that that. Uh, that we ultimately unable to give life, unable to cause seed to germinate, but our role to put the seed on the ground. And where there's where there's no seed on the ground, there's no there's no fruit on the vine, you know. And Charles Brock, a, a major in, impact influenced, as well as uh, men like Bruce Carlton, with uh, what he used to refer to as Acts 29 training, mm-hmm. strategy coordinator training, and putting some of these things together as we as we read the. The Gospels, the Galilean ministry, the way Jesus spent his time, the way he moved among those villages of Galilee, and and we came to what we call the five parts of a church planning plan. Now, it didn't originate with us, but maybe the four fields illustration to try, try to demonstrate just the process that, that uh, one goes through uh, in the controllables of the kingdom. That is engaging in empty fields, sowing the seed, nurturing the new growth in the terms of follow-up, disciple-making, cutting and bundling that growth is your church formation and the incredible instruction across the epistles uh, with intentionality. How will we bring structure and form to church all the while uh, allowing for indigenous leaders to emerge and then multiplying leaders through that process. Mm-hmm. So whether it's Galilean ministry or whether it's in Paul with the, with the Acts journeys, you know, where those five parts or four fields, an illustration for the five parts, that's, that's been our contribution. Four fields of kingdom growth. The um, you mentioned Charles, uh, and I, I know I've shared this on previous um, previous episodes uh, here. Charles uh, Charles has just had an amazing amount of influence on my life. In fact, I, I would say it's to such a degree that if it if it had not been for the Lord working through Charles Brock, uh, you and I wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. Um, he uh, he has been he has been very instrumental in 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 my thinking uh, about missions about about church planning, church multiplication, and things of that nature. So it's it's always good to always good to hear hear that name. Hey, let yeah. me let me let me ask ask you a question. How can people get a copy of Four Fields for Kingdom Growth? 
Well, I appreciate that. We uh, we have never officially published the material. It's out right. you know, on the web in a PDF format. Mm-hmm. Uh, the simplest way would be a Google search for the four fields of kingdom growth. Uh, there are a few websites that have posted the material. Steve Addison's uh, movements.net, mm-hmm. a solid source uh, for much more than just our manual. And I, I would commend that website and that brother, Steve Addison, to your listeners. And then a, a website that's just been posted in the last few months, uh, www.noplaceleft.net. And some of the brothers there are pursuing the same vision, utilizing some of the same tools in the USA, much more adept with media than I, uh, have been able to post several tools there. And, and certainly through contact that website, you could get a copy. All those the materials are free. And uh, we have received back many, many copies and variations of improvements along the way over the years. So we're happy, uh, happy if it can be used. That's great. So for those of you that are listening, make sure you check that out. I think I said four fields for kingdom growth, but you said it's four fields of kingdom growth, right? Yeah, that's the way we've always referred to it. So four do- fields of kingdom growth. There's a 2014 version that uh, is out on the web and uh, it's the latest uh, edition we put out. So if you're listening, do uh, do a Google search for that, and uh, I think that you'll find that resource to be be very helpful. Nathan, one of the things that I have so much admired uh, about you and about your ministry is that, and I, and we'll probably get into this in just a moment, is uh, is really your conviction about about the urgency of seeing the gospel spread um, and seeing you know just the multiplication of disciples and leaders and churches. Uh, but at the same time, that needs to be wed to healthy disciples, healthy churches, healthy leaders, because, you know, as you well know, I mean, for the past uh, many years, past several years, uh, there has, there's been, um, rightly or wrongly, conversations that are out there saying that, you know, if things are happening quickly, then it can't be healthy. Uh, but as I have as I have been looking at some of the things that the Lord's been doing through through your ministry and things of that nature and your writings, uh, I'm seeing a coupling, uh, a very coupling uh, of two healthy things that are very much you know, biblical requirements. And that is, we we can see sort of that Second Thessalonians three one, you know, pray that the word of the Lord spreads rapidly and with honor, and sure. at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, that Acts twenty, you know, I've declared to you the whole counsel of God, and you know, the desire to you know, see everyone presented, you know, spotless before Christ. So that, I mean, so that's something that I have really, really um, been thankful for, and I know we'll probably get into a little bit of that in just just a moment. Um, but you made a reference to to the website, noplaceleft.net, and, and that's something that I've been wanting to ask you about as well. Uh, I know that that conversation, if I understand correctly, started uh, in Asia, uh, where you and some others were serving, but it has actually spilled over into North America as well, and is gaining some some significant uh, momentum. So, so for those of us that are not familiar with this whole concept of no place left, what is that, and and how did it how did it start? Oh goodness, that's a that's a great question, <laughs> a broad question, and uh, yeah, you might have to be patient with me for a minute to uh, to work that out. You know. Uh, uh-huh. Well, it, it takes a vision. It takes a it takes a village to, to raise a child. Isn't that the saying? And and I, I would say it takes a village to raise a vision. There, there's no single person or specific hub uh, for what is meant by no place left uh, as far as a vision or a rallying cry, so to speak, in the in the commission. Um, 
But if you don't mind, I, I just bear with me for a minute. I, sure. I cut my teeth in church planning, just meditating on the Gospels. It was Jesus' pattern, his use of time, willingness to empower others, you know. By the time I was married and had returned to the field, uh, the, Paul, the journeys of Paul just gripped me. And uh, I, I never had the privilege of meeting Steve Smith, author of T for T, maybe before, say, maybe 2013. Uh, but I remember beginning around 2009, passing tools, insights back and forth through a brother named Neil Mims. And uh, every time I have heard from Steve Smith, I've been sharpened. Hmm. That's the truth of the matter. So maybe around, it must have been 2008 or 9. Uh, I got my hands on a PowerPoint that Steve Smith had created. It was just mapping out the Pauline journeys. And I remember working through it and immediately tacking on a timeline, you know. Uh, my contribution, maybe the Acts narrative cross-reference with what? Galatians 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. The timeline of Paul and realizing that his three journeys, they had to fit into a very tight window right. of time. And so working forward from his conversion or backward from... Nero's persecution that's not mentioned in Acts 28, you know, uh, maybe 12 to 15 years for his three journeys. And I used that time to write a, a case study. You know, in the CPM world, there's there's always been there's been a long emphasis on case studies, for, things for emerging not, around excuse the world. Me, excuse me just one second. Uh, so for those not familiar, CPM church planning movements. So I know, I know we have some folks yes. listening that may not be familiar with their terminology. So where people have talked about and tried to introduce church planning movements, a lot of it, maybe by necessity uh, at times, has been focused on emerging uh, movements out in the field and, and kind of describing what God is doing. I use that time and study of Paul's journeys to write a case study uh, that my wife and I just called the G case study. It stood for Gentile case study. Mm -hmm. And it was designed around Paul and it le ultimately led up to this incredible statement he makes in Romans 15, verse 23. He says that now then there's no place remaining for me to work in these regions. And the truth is the case study was just a was really a cruel tr trick, you know, kind of to lay out and as accurately as possible, but to lay out a case study of a church planner mm -hmm. by the power of the Spirit of God, you know, 1,500 kilometers of geography. Uh, engaging multiple, perhaps multiple language groups. If you think back to Acts 2, all those languages that were present in Jerusalem, scattered across that northern coast, the Mediterranean. And, uh, and through just uh, through church planting, he could come to the statement in Romans 15, now then there's no place left. And I remember that case study, for that matter, forging a relationship with a brother named Wilson Geisler, you know, that uh, God just put us together in some of that vision, he's an engineer, a strong church planning practitioner, and and God used Wilson in my life when I was looking at him and saying, "Is this crazy to think a you know a generation could be used by God to change the world?" And mm -hmm. and I remember him just looking back and saying, "Nathan, it's possible. It's possible. It wouldn't be there if it wasn't possible." And and um, he and several other brothers, you know, sharing and confirming that the Lord's direction. In our stewardship, our assignments in Asia, and the question comes to us, J.D., you know, all the time, regularly, as we read the narratives of Acts, uh, and we've talked about this before just in personal correspondence, is the book of Acts meant to be normative or prescriptive, and, and where it's narrative mm -hmm. and descriptive, we would say, you know, no, of course not, but but something similar to the ending of John, if 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 John ends, these things were written that you might believe. The book of Acts can, is confirmed in our heart. The book of Acts is written that you might believe the Holy Spirit is active and working in this world. 
And he really is. He really is where seed is sown, germinating that seed and causing the growth so that the, the, the Pauls out there can sow the seed. And Apollos may be the one who waters, but it's God who makes it grow. And mm. in a generation, you know, by the power of the spirit, uh, God's fields can be the fields God has for us can be engaged. The gospel can be sown. Disciples nurtured and empowered. Uh, rightly motivated to obedience, you know, uh, churches can be formed and indigenous local leadership can be multiplied, teamed and cross-pollinated. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the message of Acts. And uh, it concluded in our heart that that Romans fifteen twenty three vision is really taken root in our heart that what would it take? You know, what would it take to be able to say and pursue with a in a generation of time? The ability with a clear conscience, uh, gospel release, elder release in those churches of Acts 20 now, then there's no place left. And so that's the path we've gone down. That's the path we've chosen. Uh, maybe I, I'd like to say the path that chose us as far as the Lord's leading. And and we were going to believe God for examples and, and precedents of spirits activity in Acts. And I'll tell you what, J.D., just to, just to tell you, if you have in your heart targets as vast as the fields of Asia or the different mega segments of population around the world, if the book of Acts isn't possible, we, uh, we might as well go home. Mm -hmm. If we, if we can't, if we, if we can't see multiplication as, as it's detailed described in the book of Acts, uh, we're in trouble. And as I would probably say, it's true for the U S isn't it? When, the World War One generation has passed away. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's the last generation in the U.S. that saw that saw church growth keep up with population mm-hmm. growth. You so know. that no one, no American alive today, has seen that happen. Mm-hmm. And if it can't happen, my goodness, it's a losing battle. You know, one of the things so, I'm, I'm fascinated when I, when I read through the Book of Acts is is that the, one of the accusations leveled against the early disciples is, is that they turned the world up, upside down. You know, the, the, these men who have, who have turned the world upside down have come here. And, come um, here also, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, that, that notion of, of you, know, what, you know, that God can, can move in such a way where we can see the, 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 the rapid increase of people coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the, the rapid increase of churches uh, being planted, the rapid increase of leadership being developed. And at the same time, while obviously you know, there, there's, op- there's opposition, uh, there, there are problems that are there. We just read through Paul's epistles to see that. Uh, at the same time, it can be something healthy. I mean, it can, it can be uh, something that is, uh, it is good and moving through a healthy sanctification process. I know that of, of the incredible amounts of of church growth, church planning movements that you have been a part of in your part of the world. Um, obviously, there are many, many numbers that could be reported. Uh, but you you were sharing with me that uh, when it comes to metrics, when it comes to thinking about, you know, how do we measure what's going on, you, you guys have a, have a very um, holistic approach uh, that extends just beyond numerical growth, don't you? Can, and, 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 you know, can you share a little bit about that with yeah, us? Yeah, thank you. I would love to. Uh, and I would first say, you know, we here and and we have benefited along the way that in the church planning movement, the CPM conversation has benefited. It has learned. It has morphed. We're not on a 2.0 or 3.0. I mean, 
uh, over and over again, we have refined and, and grown in our perspective on on the Lord's hand and the work. And a lot of the all along the way, some of what people have called criticism uh, has been healthy critique. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like uh, we have benefited from a great deal of that voice. So we're thankful for that. And and at the same time, J.D., when, when we hear a conversation about pace or the word rapid, the truth is we'd like to look around at times and and just ask the question, who, who, who was it that suggested we were setting the pace? It's uh, mm-hmm. to, to claim that this is a work of the Holy Spirit and then have anything to do from our side on the pace of response or of, uh, certainly of God giving life to the seed that's being sown – uh, you recognize, and we do as well, that's an uncontrollable, right? right? Yeah. Pace is an uncontrollable. And I think that summarizes, I would hope that summarizes most of the critique. There are the, the reality that there are controllables and uncontrollables in the kingdom of God. The controllables referred to as stewardship all the way back to Charles Brock. Are we mobilizing sowers? Are we sowing the seed on the ground? Are we engaging the soil? There are some stewardships there for us. But one of the major issues and one of the developments that needs to be needs to be understood as uh, as we've learned from some of the critique along the way, uh, implementing a God sized vision has required us to rethink several things. And in one of those, you know, we decide amidst uh, in the midst of a CPM culture that we really needed to redefine traditional metrics uh, for goals or for reporting, for tracking uh uh, fruit and that kind of thing, tracking mm-hmm. movements. And to us, the real issue was trusting the Spirit of God for the uncontrollable pieces, elements of the kingdom. For example, so many organizations, J.D., set goals that really, honestly, are none of their business. Uh, for You know, you, you may hear the goal, we're going to win this many souls to Christ this year. We're going to plant this many churches. And I just encourage your listeners, be cautious with those goals. Mm-hmm. These are these are uncontrollables. It's only the spirit who gives life, right? Yeah, so, instead yeah. instead of the uh, dealing with the uncontrollables, those things that have to be trusted to God. Instead, we we've launched this campaign, and I'm not sure we're over the hump yet, but we're tracking towards goals, tracking measurement of the controllable elements. So, for example, it's not how many will come to faith, but we might ask the question, or we might even set the goal: how many will hear the gospel? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, we certainly can't give life, and we don't have any stewardship, but we do have a stewardship of sowing. And so rather than goals on the numbers of church starts, we've shifted to tracking or celebrating elements of health as progress. And so uh, some of the diagnostic tools straight out of Acts 2 or Acts 13 were uh, referred to as generational mapping, you, you're familiar with, uh, an example of just tracking each church across the the expectations Christ has and are laid out for us in a descriptive passage, by the way, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and so rather than numbers of goals on church starts, we start tracking these elements of health. And and so we're instead of celebrating a spreadsheet with this many baptisms or this many churches started, uh, honestly, we get to celebrate different set of metrics like uh, the celebration of Lord's Supper in a second generation church or baptisms among third-generation believers or giving in a new church starter, or maybe the appointment of elder overseers, you know, in, in a fourth-generation church, uh, that kind of metrics have changed and shifted. And we're celeb- getting to celebrate function of the church, healthy function, uh, right alongside uh, souls coming to faith. So 
that that's that's definitely a part of the the maturation of the CPM church planning movement conversation. You know the the fact is JD we've been able to track through some of these metrics and diagnostic tools uh, generations of church planning, and uh, we've actually at times set goals for the release of new generations of churches along the way and 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 actually in in some of our goal setting um, in the no place left network and others we talk about getting to a fourth generation church planning stream where churches have birthed churches that have birthed churches and fourth generation you know Mm -hmm, and uh, at times that comes under criticism as well because isn't that one of the uncontrollables as it was just as I just described it and I would see the point because uh, none of us can give life to generations of new believers or churches. None of us birth churches. It's the Spirit of God that does that. And the point we wanted to make along the way by tracking generations of churches was simply that the controllable element in generational growth is not birthing of believers or groups, but rather it's the release of those churches, you know, to mm-hmm. be church, not just to do some of the functions. And uh, it could be the opposite, you know, where we see previous generations refusing to release churches. Uh, Generational growth is definitely a controllable Mm -hmm. in that they're choosing not to release, you know. So that's been our pathway. We've unapologetically sought answers from Scripture to the questions like who can and who can't, you know, share the gospel, baptize, teach the Bible, make disciples, who can and who can't host a church or plant churches. And, and asking for that that descript, descriptive uh, narrative in, in the book of Acts to, to lead us along the way. And then, of course, we have the epistles that are highly directive, you know, yeah. where so, Paul is speaking into context. So, so when I hear you talk about kind of this new set of, of metrics uh, beyond just, just counting numbers, uh, it, it, this really is— um, this really is a, a, a good innovation uh, in in kingdom yeah. expansion uh, in, in what what's taking place across the world because for so long uh, you, you know we, we we have pretty much said all right let's let's just count people let's just count baptisms let's count professions of faith let's count new churches started and no one's asking the question about some of those more um, um, some of those characteristics that that manifest, uh, quality uh, that show you know you know growth in Christ. So I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming that as you as you and others that you work with have have kind of laid this new set of this 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 new yardstick, so to speak, um, a, across uh, the the fields in which you've been working, particularly where there's been significant numbers of of, of growth in, in numbers. I'm assuming that it's been encouraging. Uh, to be able to do this, uh, and it's probably been challenging. Oh, absolutely challenging. That that's the that's the truth of it. We, you know, all the way back to uh, back to Roland Allen, the desire to see spontaneous expansion. Uh, every bit of the motive throughout the '90s and the 2000s, those brothers chasing uh, movements and uh, and desiring to release and and uh, just pursuing the God, pursuing God relentlessly in prayer over, uh, you know, that he would send out laborers. God has utilized all that, blessed all that, uh, you know, um, seeing spontaneous expansion from the book of Acts, getting the multiplication, such a desire in our hearts. And, and J.D., uh, the CPM, the church planning movement conversation, 
is is now facing an, an age of the epistles. And I, I want to say this with uh, with the utmost respect and hopefully uh, agree with you that this new set of metrics that comes along is an innovation. And yet the playbook is already written for us mm-hmm. in that we all desire, every one of us would desire to see uh, a work of the Spirit of God, a spontaneous expansion. And at the same time, we have stewardship over these things called the epistles. And they are highly directive. There is time. There is time to speak into a Corinthian mess, or a right understanding of the gospel with the Galatians, or uh, fill in the blank. Uh, even as far down as the the pastoral epistles, you know, those letters written to his apostolic band, Titus and Timothy, to say, "Hey, as you're appointing elders, and for that matter, the reason I left you in Crete was to finish what was left undone. Appoint elders in every town." And so bringing that intentionality of the epistles to bear, all the while maintaining an indigenous uh, ownership of the task and, and that's necessary to get to generations of church planting, that and, and how to do that in context, that is 21st century missiology. And uh, it's a joy to get to be a part of it. Nathan, one of the questions that I wanted to ask is about something that you, you recently um, published uh, in the latest edition. So at the time of this recording, it's the May-June 2016 edition of Mission Frontiers. Uh, for those of you that are listening, you can find that online. Uh, there's an article in in that edition uh, where you're talking about Acts chapter 20, verse 3, and you mentioned that that may be the most significant verse in the book of Acts for mission strategy. Um, you're, the yeah. first, you're the first person I've, I've heard say that. What exactly is that verse? And, uh, and then can you tell us what you mean uh, by that, <laughs> that statement? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, uh, the verse simply reads, uh, when he had arrived in Achaia where he stayed for three months, and and uh, let me let me back up and explain it this way. You know, uh, we would agree the Bible is a is a missionary book. Uh, certainly, the New Testament, the Book of Acts, the Epistles, they all have real time ministry context, and mm-hmm. and most of that is set in a in a pioneer context for that matter, pioneer in its nature. And so, uh, the time of the New Testament, uh, Holy Spirit chose uh, that timing. The context then is a matter of God's choosing. And what he inspired was a missionary case study, complete with theology, of course, and pioneering fields, real-time, you know, uh, correction of worldview, uh, the sinful nature of new believers, the challenges that new churches were facing. For that matter, the work of the enemy, all just fully on display. In a lot of cases, very it's very raw in its reading. And... Uh, you know, to read the New Testament then in a pioneer context uh, is to read the Scripture in its context. And uh, so a worthy study, you take, uh, read First and Second Thessalonians and, and look for clues on, the, on their timing. Where were they written from? Uh, when were they written? And some of the details concerning the journeys. And you'll find, uh, you'll find Paul right in the midst of the second journey or the Corinthian correspondence right there from Ephesus or in Macedonia about to approach Achaia within the third journey. And that brings us, by the way, in Acts chapter 20, verse 3 specifically, he having traveled through Macedonia, he comes into Achaia where he stayed for three months. And that's the verse I called one of the most significant uh, for developing mission strategy. And the reason is that during those three months, uh, we can place another one of Paul's epistles. And you jump to Romans 15 and 16, 
And you see Paul has, in 1525, he's turning his face toward Jerusalem, having received the offering that's in hand. He's on his way. The end of 16, some of the, the characters there at uh, also tied to Corinth, uh, that being uh, you know, Gaius and Erastus there, the director of public works, those men known to be from the city of Corinth, in which case Paul is writing Romans from Corinth at the, near the, nearing the end of the third missionary journey. Those three months then are the venue for the, for his masterpiece, you know, the epistle to the Romans. And so where we've placed Romans in the Acts timeline, Acts 20, verse 3, from Corinth, we have a context for that vision statement, that Pauline statement, Romans 15, 23. Now then there's no place left. Written from Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey, from Illyricum all the way around to Jerusalem, I fully proclaim the gospel. So we have to ask the question, J.D., what had been accomplished by Acts chapter 20? You know, what, mm-hmm. what clues were there in Romans 15, for that matter, that, that, uh, that, that Paul gives for the completion of his task? What's his evidence that he's done, that there's no place left for him to work? How is it he has a clear conscience, you know? Right. And, and this is where it gets interesting, because if we can discern answers to these questions from the text, we would have our key result areas for mission. And, and to me, that's that's pure gold, uh, trying to strategize. And you introduced me to this just in this podcast as a church planning strategist in Asia, honestly, for Asia. You look at the fields that are vast and empty in a lot of cases, and we're asking the question, full of pagan idolatry, full of language barriers and other things right in front of us, all the time in our face for that matter. And where do we find hope? Where for that matter do we find key result, target areas, uh, uh, goals that we would pursue? And, and we don't have to write the script where Paul was Acts 20, verse 3, writing the book of Romans and being able to say there's no place left for me to work in these regions, we have a context, we have a deep well that we can dig in called the New Testament uh, to discern those key results, to to discern what what would it really take to exit with a clear conscience. Mm -hmm. And so everything from the gospel being fully proclaimed, the, the demonstrated obedience of the Gentiles in word and deed right there in chapter 15, verse 18 of Romans. Uh, For that matter, Acts 20, verse 4 and 5, you look at the provincial teams of cross-pollinated leaders that are accompanying Paul. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, isn't it? Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. Uh, Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. Gaius, who was from Derbe, and Timothy also. These these Macedonians and Galatians and Asians with him in Achaia, in the province of Hmm. Achaia. And he's looking around saying, there's no place left for me to work. Hmm. Uh, Casting that vision... You, as you mentioned earlier, for that matter, it's hit the shores in the U.S. at this point. Yeah, can you can, can you we with, source? Yeah, can you share yeah. a little bit with us about what's and, going on in the U.S. with the no place left guys? Happy to. I, the, can we really source finish line metrics from the New Testament? And brothers in the U.S. at this point, asking those questions, rethinking some of their own ideas of success around the question, who can and who can't, as we said earlier, make disciples, baptize, form churches, disciple, teach the Bible, and where 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are sufficient, for that matter, pastor those new churches. Mm -hmm. 
And those guys going back to the simple drawing board with the sower, the seed, the soil, the spirit, committing to a season and clay and, and praying to the Lord, a work of the Holy Spirit only would accomplish their vision that, that there could be no place left in the U.S. And so we look around the U.S. and we see men of God adopting these mega segments of population. Right. Uh, no place left San Antonio, the work of Chuck Wood there and all that he's doing through mm-hmm. through uh, army bases across and for that matter, globally, uh, the work of a man like Troy Cooper and no place left South Florida and engaging in many cases, Southern Baptist churches seeking to put seed into the hands of sowers and and deploy them into the field. Uh, you've met Ron and Zach out of Memphis, mm-hmm. right? Beginning right. to to wrestle with what would it really take? Is it really possible? Possible to see elders emerge out of out of new harvest, and if we stayed the course and invested in those brothers, shadow pastored them for a time, examine their character, know that they're able to teach. Can we really release those men to lead churches? Mm-hmm. Uh, James Harvey cast that vision out of Nashville, or Fred Campbell and and his wife Melissa Garrett Lawrence in Austin, and 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 it continually springing up around the U.S. Cody Pinckney in Charlotte, and of course. Most of this, a lot of this finds its way back to Jeff Sundell, who was our mentor on this side, who challenged us to believe God for his word and and uh, ultimately uh, found himself back in the U.S. Uh, beginning in 2009, casting vision on that side. Mm-hmm. And so you asked that question earlier, where's the origin of the No Place Left Network? Um, it takes a, a village to raise a vision. We certainly have no monopoly on that vision. These guys are are uh, are all in and and putting their life, uh, you know, on the line for some of these things. Uh, I'm excited to see what comes next, JD. Honestly, uh, and it's hard to think one of the best things we could have done for the U.S. is to live our life over here, uh, casting vision and seeing people back in the U.S. in some of our own areas. Mm. Uh, some of our in our own state, for that matter, getting after the work there. So, well, brother, we're I'm proud of those guys. Yeah, I, I am too, and um, I'm proud, proud, and uh, thankful for uh, what the Lord is doing through your ministry as well. And man, just thanks, thanks so much for for joining us uh, today on this episode of Strike the Match. Uh, my my guest today has been uh, Nathan Shank, um, co-author with his wife of the uh, church planning manual that I mentioned earlier that you need to check out for fields of kingdom growth, not for kingdom growth. And he is the church planning strategist with the International Mission Board for Asia. Nathan, as always, brother, thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Church planning strategist in Asia. In, in Asia. Oh, I'm <laughs> we sorry. We haven't got the whole thing wrapped oh, up yet. I thought That's I had, all right, brother. Man, look at that. Me and my prepositions. I'm, I'm going back to fifth grade. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.